Welcome to the real world. Things to consider when you turn 18 on the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. The moment a person turns 18, they are suddenly considered an adult in the eyes of the law, but many parents don't realize this, and many teenagers don't fully understand what that means. Myrick O'Connell attorney Liz Newton joins us to talk about the things you should consider when you turn 18. Liz is with the firm's Trusts and Estates Group. She focuses her practice on estate planning, estate and trust administration, probate litigation, and elder law matters. Liz Newton, welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Great to have you with us. Hi, Howard. Nice to be with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the first question would probably be the obvious one. What changes when someone turns 18? So legally, in the eyes of the law, once you turn 18, you are an adult. So the rights that your parents had over you, um, the decisions they could make on your behalf, are suddenly no longer um, under their control. You are the person making your own decisions. So you have to plan for, you know, if something happens to you, um, who's going to be making those decisions on your behalf. So Liz, what documents does an 18-year-old need to have in place, I guess would be a bottom line question here. Yeah, I mean, to start with, I think the, the main documents that an 18-year-old um, or older, you know, anyone over 18 that doesn't have anything in place, probably the, the basic documents that they need um, at a minimum is what's called a durable power of attorney um, and a healthcare proxy. And less important, but still um, still important in my eyes, is called a HIPAA release. And I'm happy to go into those in more detail, you know, one by one. Sure, Liz. So let's start with the power of attorney going through each of these. Uh, what Now, what is this? A power of attorney is the document that authorizes someone to make financial decisions on your behalf. Um, it's usually meant to be used if someone became incapacitated. So if something happened to you and you don't have, you know, the, the moral competence to make decisions on your behalf, um, or if it also can be used if you are competent, but just aren't able to be somewhere to, to do something or, or to, to do something on your behalf. So, um, for an example, you know, bank account is probably the most uh, common example. If, if you needed your parents to have access to your bank account um, when they were your parent, they could, you know, when you were under 18, your parent could just go to the bank probably and, and access your bank account. But um with a power of attorney, once you're turn 18, they don't have that same right to kind of go in and, and access it. So the power of attorney would say, would give, tell the bank that, yes, I want my parents to be able to access my bank account if they need to withdraw money or deposit money or, you know, do whatever else it may be needed. So who can serve as an agent of an 18-year-old, Liz? It really can be anyone, any competent adult, I would say, younger adults who are signing documents for the first time, they most likely will be naming their parents in this role, um, but they don't have to. So, you know, not everyone may have a relationship with their parents or they don't want their parents to have that role. It just needs to be someone who's over 18 and is competent to be making decisions on your behalf. And can you have two agents? Uh, yes. So you can name more than one person. Uh, it can be two or it can be more than two. You know, I think more than two might get a little complicated in terms of too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing, but no. um, you can do it if you want to. But 
Uh, they can, yes, you can have two serving either jointly, which means that both agents need to agree on all actions and need to be present to execute those actions. So the, the example that I give to a lot of my clients is they both have to sign um, a check if it's needed, if they're serving jointly. What I often recommend to my client is that if you're naming two people, you uh, appoint them what's called jointly and severally, which means that while you hope that we'll discuss a, a decision between the two of them, they, that only one of them is needed to actually execute that action. So only one of them needs to sign the check or one of them needs to sign a, a deed or if you know if you own real estate and you're trying to transfer that. Uh, it just makes life a little bit easier on all's behalf, <laughs> everyone's behalf. Right, right, absolutely. So just to clarify, when we talk about maybe two agents, we're really talking about, in actuality, both parents, really. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, what if the 18-year-old does not have a power of attorney in place? So if you don't have one in place, no one's really authorized to act on your behalf. Um, if you did become incompetent, you know, something horrible happened to you or you just couldn't make decisions on your own behalf, your parents could go to court and go through a lengthy process called a conservatorship. And so they could have a conservator appointed on your behalf um, to make those financial decisions for you. But in order to get that appointment, they have to show the court that you are, in fact, incompetent. So a power of attorney, like I said before, um, it doesn't necessarily need to come into effect once you become incompetent. It might just be that you want your parents, maybe if you're off at college and you want your parents to have access to that bank account because maybe you have a bank at a local bank that's not in the town of your college and you need to do some transactions or something like that. A conservator only uh, conservatorship only comes into place if you are incompetent. So there's not really a legal um, avenue to give someone the right to just act on your behalf for convenience purposes if you're not incompetent. Now, does the power of attorney grant your agent comprehensive power, or can the 18-year-old select specific powers that they want their agent to have? You can select specific powers. Um, I don't generally recommend it. We recommend to our clients that they sign what's called a general durable power of attorney. And what that is, it gives broad, comprehensive power to the people that you're naming in the document to do whatever may be possible or may be um, available to do on your behalf. And the reason for that is you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So you don't know what assets are going to have. You don't know if you might need to apply for government benefits. You don't know if you're going to have a pet that needs to be taken care of, you know. So I always say that the more powers in your power of attorney, the better, because if you're if you if it's not in the document, oftentimes um, financial institutions will will ask to see the specific power that's needed that authorizes your uh, power of attorney to act in the way that you want them to act. So the more powers you can have in, in the document, the better. And if someone's trying to cut out a power because they think the person they're naming might be abusing it. I usually tell my clients, maybe you want to rethink who you're naming, because if you don't trust them to be acting in a way that's going to be um, using their authority appropriately, then that's probably not the right person to be naming in the document if you don't trust them enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Good advice. Now, do you need an attorney to create a power of attorney? In Massachusetts, 
Probably. Um, a lot of states, and I say that because a lot of states have what's called a statutory power of attorney, where you can just get it, you know, it's state approved, you can go on and download the form and, and it tells you how to sign it so that it's effective. Massachusetts, um, at least in my 11 years of practice, I haven't seen that sort of state approved form. So I think the uh, attorney is kind of your access point to getting that document. And, you know, it's always good to have advice about who to name. And, you know, if you didn't have an attorney, you might want to cut out certain powers. But after talking to an attorney, like we just said, you might realize maybe it's not the best idea to do that. Um, so in Massachusetts, yes, but in other states that have those statutory powers of attorney, uh, maybe not. Does the power of attorney have to be notarized? Not under Massachusetts law. It does need to be witnessed by two disinterested witnesses. So that means people that aren't named in the document or otherwise could benefit from your state. But technically under Massachusetts law, it does not need to be notarized. We typically recommend that it is anyway. Um, and that's for a couple reasons. Um, the first being that you may go out of state and that the, whatever state you're in may require your power of attorney to be notarized. And if it's not, they, they may not accept it. So you want to make your document as um, robust as possible to make it as effective as possible. The second reason is that financial institutions are already weary of powers of attorney to begin with. So they are always kind of on the lookout for someone trying to pull a fast one over them. And so they want to make sure that the document that they are are giving someone access to your financial information, they want to make sure that it's a legitimate document. And having that notary stamp on that, on the document might give them a little more um, confidence that it's an official document, you know, it wasn't just signed willy-nilly and, you know, and it's not the person acting on the behalf, you know, actually has the power to do so. We're talking about what happens when you turn 18 or when maybe your son or daughter turns 18. What legal documents do you need to have and what legal ramifications there are? So we've just talked about the power of attorney. What about a healthcare proxy? What is a healthcare proxy? So where a power of attorney authorizes financial decision-making on someone's behalf, the healthcare proxy authorizes medical decision-making on that person's behalf. And so you would name up the person who would act on your behalf if you became incompetent or couldn't express your wishes about your healthcare. Um, the healthcare proxy would be the one stepping in your shoes and making that decision for you. And what happens if you become incapacitated and you don't have a healthcare proxy? So I, I think of powers of attorney and healthcare proxy as almost not opposite, but very similar documents in where if you don't have a power of attorney, a conservator is appointed by a court for you. But if you don't have a healthcare proxy, the court appoints what's called a guardian on your behalf. And that person essentially has the power to make decisions over your person for you. Um, so healthcare decisions, um, where you live, things like that. Um, so again, it would be a court process and the court would act, would appoint whoever they think is going to act in your best interest. Now, again, the same question that I asked about powers of attorney. Do you need an attorney to get a healthcare proxy? 
The healthcare proxy is more readily available. Most people can actually probably get a form right from their doctors um, that they can sign. It doesn't need to be notarized. Again, I don't think it's a bad idea to get it notarized, but um, it doesn't have to be in Massachusetts, but it does have to be witnessed again by two disinterested witnesses. So someone that doesn't have an interest in your state. So we're talking about documents uh, that are advisable for an 18-year-old to execute once they turn 18. And what is a HIPAA release? That's one of the key documents as well. A HIPAA release is, it's not a document that confers any decision-making on behalf of the person, but it authorizes the people named in the document to have access to your protected health information. And what protected health information is, is essentially medical records, billing records, um, but it also can have, you know, pretty private things in there, like mental health records, um, drug abuse, treatment. So it, again, it doesn't authorize any decision-making, but if you want the people named in it, like your parents, to have access to uh, your medical records or to be able to talk to your doctors about what's going on, a HIPAA release is, is really important to give them access to let, the, let your doctors know that they have um, permission to talk to the people named in the document. Sure, if that makes sense. And now, does an 18-year-old need a will? Just moving on to additional documents. Right. I mean, I didn't name this as one of the critical documents because not too many 18-year-olds really have much property to dispose of. But the way to answer this question is what happens if someone doesn't have a will? So even if you even if you don't have a lot of assets, you may have a, a wish of how those assets are distributed. And if someone doesn't have a will, what happens is the property is disposed of pursuant to what's called the intestacy laws. Every state has a statutory regime, essentially, of how assets get distributed upon someone's death. The will obviously trumps if you have one, but if you don't have a will, it essentially goes up and down the family tree. So if, if you're married, for the most part, it goes to your spouse, although that's not always the case. If you're not married, it would go to children or grandchildren if you have any. If you don't have any, and then it goes parents, if there are any parents, um, you know, siblings, grandparents, you know, up and down the family tree until you find a, a living relative. <laughs> so if that's not how you want your state to be distributed, you would need to sign a will um, to indicate who you want to take your assets upon death. So leading up to the ultimate question, the 18-year-old has signed all these documents. Everyone has signed everything that they need to sign, and, and they followed your good advice. So what happens now? I always tell clients that they should give a copy of the documents that they signed to, at least to the people named in the documents. So whoever you are naming as your power of attorney or even your alternate power of attorney, you should give a copy to them in case they're called upon to act. They have a copy authorizing them to do so. I also tell people for their healthcare proxy to give a copy to their uh, primary care physician so that they can put it into their medical record and it can follow them you know, wherever they're getting treatment. Your power of attorney, you should think about also giving a copy to all your financial institutions. So wherever you have an account, banks, life insurance companies, wherever, so that um, they have on record and they know that you gave the document to them that you're authorizing the people named in your power of attorney to act on their behalf. So that's kind of where copies should go. The originals of the documents should really just be stored in a place that is safe, 
I don't recommend locking it away anywhere. A lot of clients come in and say if they have a safe deposit box, although I don't know what 18 year old has a safe deposit box, but you never know. (laughs) Um, Some people want to put in a safe deposit box and I don't recommend that because it just becomes a little hairy about who has access to the safe deposit box. It's under lock and key. And to be honest, estate plan documents really aren't valuable to anyone other than the person who signed them. So it's not like someone's going to come in and burglarize your house and steal your estate plan documents because they're really only paper until they're needed. Right. And so I just, I recommend storing them someplace where um, they're, they're safe and you tell the people who are need to know the people named in the documents where they can find the originals if they're needed. So our wrap up question here, and, and this has been really helpful Uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, that uh, all of these documents need to come into play when someone turns 18. Final question is, you know, life changes, Liz, as you know, you very well know, living this every day. Can these documents change as well? Yes. So all of the documents that we just talked about, the power of attorney, healthcare proxy, HIPAA release, and the will are all amendable, revocable, can be terminated at any time, as long as you're competent. So the idea is that you're signing them so that you're you're using them if and when you become incompetent or pass away. So as long as you're alive and competent, you can make changes. Um, and that's why it's a good idea to revisit them every couple of years just to remind yourself of what they say, who is named in the documents. You may say, OK, I still want those people to be making those decisions for me. But at some point you're going to change. Either your parents are getting older and they don't make sense anymore. Maybe you've gotten married and you want your spouse to be, be named in the documents. You can always update those documents to, to name new people. So I want to thank you very much, Liz Newton, uh, Trust and Estates Attorney with the law firm of Myrick O'Connell here on, on air with Myrick O'Connell. Liz, if folks have questions or comments regarding this topic, uh, how can they reach you? Of course. Yeah. You can reach me um, at my email address, which is enewton at myrickoconnell.com. Or my phone number uh, at the office is um, 508-929-1650. And we always add this, Myrick (laughs) O'Connell is M-I-R-I-C-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L-2-N-2-L-S.com. Liz Newton, thank you so much for joining us on on air with Myrick O'Connell today. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Howard. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. For the law firm of Myrick O'Connell, I'm Howard Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Take care. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. (music) 